this is Father Reed Hensling at All Saints Episcopal Church in Lakeland, Florida. And we're going to be looking at the daily lectionary readings for the fourth Sunday after Pentecost. The fourth Sunday after Pentecost, proper eight. Now remember, these readings are in the Book of Common Prayer, at the end of the Book of Common Prayer, if you're interested as to where they are. And they are listed there to read on a daily basis. And we are spending about 20-25 minutes encouraging you to look at these readings and I'm going to go through them with you and share with you some insights regarding the readings. Now there's three primary readings. If you look at Sunday, June 28, 2020 through July 4th, we have Numbers, the book of Numbers. Now the book of Numbers is the fourth book of the Old Testament. And we're going to be concentrating on Numbers 21, 22, 23, and 24, the end of the book. Secondly, we'll be looking at the book of Romans. We've been looking at Romans the last several weeks. We'll be looking at Romans chapter 6, verse 12 to 23 on Monday. And then we'll go through Saturday, Romans chapter 8, 18 to 25. Thirdly, we'll be looking at the book of Matthew. We'll be, we have been in Matthew for quite some time. Matthew 21, 12 on Monday through Saturday, Matthew 22, 40. So I'll be sharing some things, some ideas with you, things to look for in Numbers, Romans, and Matthew. For those of you that are using the Book of Common Prayer, the numbers located next to the readings are for the psalm, for the psalm. So you may want to read the psalm as you are reading the Old Testament reading, the New Testament reading, and the Gospel reading. Okay, so I hope you'll have a good week of reading. I hope you have a good uh, week of prayer regarding the readings. I hope that the Lord speaks to you and you pray as you listen to what the Lord is saying to you in the reading. Now you want to find a good place to pray, a good time to pray, and listen to the reading. Sometimes the readings happen where you don't have much time and you just want to get it in and say that you did it and work through the reading maybe at a later time. Or you, perhaps if something really strikes you, you may get something out of it at that time. But whatever way that you're doing it, you really want to enjoy the reading of the Word of God. Now, on Sunday, June 28th, we have Numbers 21, 4 through 9. We have Numbers 21, 4 through 9. And that's the idea of the bronze snake, the snake on the pole. Anyone who looks at the snake that's on the pole who is bitten will live. So, verse 9. Moses made a bronze snake, put it upon a pole. When anyone was bitten by a snake, the Lord sent venomous snakes among them, verse 5. So the Lord sent venomous snakes to judge his people. They, bought, they bit the people, and the people died. So the Lord brought this upon them, and Moses prayed and interceded for the people. And the Lord told Moses to tell the people, that if they look upon this bronze snake that's up on a pole, they will live. 
if they are bitten. Now, what's so important about this? Actually, there's something terribly important about this, and that's the idea that Jesus was raised on a pole, on a tree, and everyone that looks to Jesus is saved. So we look up at Jesus at his crucifixion. We call upon the name of the Lord, and he saves us. All right, let's continue on. Now, in beginning in chapter 22 of the book of Numbers, the Israelites traveled to the plains of Moab and camped along the Jordan across from Jericho. So they weren't very far away from going into the promised land. And we have this guy named Balak, okay, who saw that the, all that the Israelites, Israel had done to the Amorites and Moab was terrified because there were so many people. Moab was filled with dread because of the Israelites. So they were scared because they were entering into their territory. Then the Moabites said to the elders, this horde is going to come and lick up everything around us. So Balak said, who was king of Moab at the time, go and give this message. A people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the land and have settled next to me. Now come and put a curse on these people because they are too powerful for me. So they summoned a person named Balaam. You probably heard of him. And Balaam was going to put a curse on the people of Israel because Balak, king of Moab, was not strong enough to get rid of them. For I know that those you bless are blessed and those you curse are cursed. So Balaam's job was to curse the people of Israel. It's a fascinating story, and you've probably heard it. And so it is a very interesting story that we'll see over these next several days. God said to Balaam in verse 12, though, do not go with them. You must not put a curse on these people because they are blessed. Do not curse them. So Balak gets up. He goes back to his own country, and he tells the people what he's going to do about putting a curse or not. Okay, so Balaam's donkey, we find in chapter 22, in chapter 22, verse 21, Balaam gets up, saddles his donkey, goes with the princes of Moab, but God was very angry when he went, and the angel of the Lord stood on the road to oppose him. This is verse 22, 23. Balaam was riding on the donkey, his two servants were with him, then the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. The donkey saw the sword, and he saw the angel with the sword. And the donkey turns off the road into a field, and Balaam beats her, beats the donkey. The angel of the Lord stands, it stood in a narrow path between the two vineyards with walls on both sides. The donkey saw the angel of the Lord. She pressed, pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it, so he beat her again. Then the angel of the Lord, verse 26, moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there's no room to turn either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. She was, he was angry, beat her again. This is the third time. She said to Balaam, this, then the donkey spoke. What have I done to you to make me beat me three times? Balaam answered the donkey, you made a fool of me. If I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. The donkey said, am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? He said, no. Then the Lord opens Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed down and fell face down. The angel of the Lord asked him, Why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I have come here to oppose you, 
because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me three times. If she had not turned away, I would certainly have killed you by now, but I would have spared her. So God used Balaam's donkey to save Balaam and to prevent what Balaam was going to do. And so the angel of the Lord speaks to Balaam. This is Tuesday's reading, 22 chapter 22, 21 to 38. And Balaam says, Well, I have come to you now, but can I just say something? I must speak only what the Lord puts in my mouth. So now he's going to speak the word of the Lord. So as we go through chapter 23, we have these wonderful verses about Balaam and what he's doing. And of course, we don't have enough time to go through each of the verses. But we have the oracle, the second oracle of Balaam, uh, in chapter 23, and in chapter 24, we have another oracle of Balaam in chapter 24, which we see on Friday, and then the second half of it, a fourth oracle in the end, in the second half of chapter 24. And so Balaam is speaking, or trying to speak the word of the Lord, and he has, it's pretty amazing. And so what we have in Numbers is this situation where Israel gets very close to the promised land. The king of Moab is upset, so he calls on Balaam to curse them. And then there's this fantastic interplay between Balaam and God and Balaam and the king and Balaam and the message. So I hope that you will enjoy that. It's very, very wonderful reading. In Romans chapter 6, we have this fantastic verse about righteousness and about being a slave to righteousness and living for righteousness. You've been delivered from sin, verse 18, and have become slaves to righteousness. And so we're moving away from sin and we're moving to righteousness. We've got the old man, we put on the new man. We've got a different way that we are living now. Okay? Verse 22, you've been set free from sin and become slaves to God. The benefit you reap is holiness, leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. Now, so we've been sla- we were slaves to sin. We had sinned against God. We were away from God. God has saved us. We are now slaves to righteousness. The benefit leads to holiness and right actions. And the result that we get ultimately is eternal life. It, this is a fantastically good news. And then we have the very famous Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Then we go to chapter 7. Now, chapter 7 is an interesting chapter because it deals with, it's very real, uh, it's very uh, earthy. Um, Paul is dealing with his sin. He's dealing with the law. He's trying to figure out how he's going to obey God. It's a wonderful chapter about the humanity of man and dealing with the fact that, you know, I really got to do this, but how in the world am I going to do this? And so, On Tuesday and Wednesday, we look at chapter 7. He says about the law in verse 14, We know that the law is spiritual, but but I am unspiritual. I'm sold as a slave to sin. We're all sinners. We're slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, but for what I want to do, I do not do, verse 15, but what I hate to do. Have you ever found yourself in that situation where you're doing something you know is wrong, you know what you're supposed to do, but you're still doing the evil thing that you hate. 
So Paul is dealing with that great existential question. How am I going to deal with myself when I do things that I know I should not do, but I do them anyway? How does that affect my relationship with God? How, how do I get past this? He says, I agree that the law is good. He said, it is, it is. It's no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that's in, that's in my sinful nature, verse um, 18. I have the desire to do what's good, but I can't carry it out. How many of you feel that way? For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This is what I keep on doing. I know what the right thing to do is, but I don't do it. Now, verse 20. If I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. What I want to do, when I want to do good, evil is right there with me. And in my inner being, I delight in God's law. I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to go to church. I'm trying to be kind to people. I'm trying to do the right thing. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making you a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. What a fantastic line. It sounds so Shakespearean. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So Jesus has rescued us from this vicious circle, this horrible vicious circle of trying to follow God, but instead doing sinful things. So I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. How in the world am I going to be saved? And so in the fabulous eighth chapter of Romans, which I think is one of the best chapters of the Bible, he has this wonderful, these wonderful verses that you'll read this on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Isn't that great news to get to get today, people? In that fantastic news that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Through the power of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, I have been set free from the law of sin and death. He says in verse 6 that the mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. So we have these two natures, the law of sin and the law of death. We have the, no, we have the law of sin, the law of death, and we have the law of life, the law of freedom, the law of the Spirit. So you have the, the way of the flesh, the way of the spirit. The way of God, not God. Okay, Eternal life, eternal death. All right. So how am I going to do the right thing? <clears throat> he says in verse 10, If Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin. Yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, verse 11, which I pray is true for all of you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. So we have this wonderful, we have this wonderful message from the Lord that he gives us the Holy Spirit to lead us into righteousness and holiness. Remember, I read that in chapter 6 of Romans. And by the Spirit of God, he enables us to do righteous things. Now, if I leave it up to my flesh, I will die. The spirit is against the flesh, and the flesh is against the spirit. So the desire of the flesh is to satisfy its own desires, and the desire of the spirit is to satisfy the desires of the Lord. 
And so he says, Now, if we are children, we are heirs, verse 17, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if we indeed share in his sufferings, in order that we might also share in his glory. So we cry, Abba, Father, and the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. You are a child of God. Hear the Holy Spirit say that to you. Listen to the Holy Spirit guiding you as you're reading these great texts of Scripture. This is why they're so important. Because the Spirit draws you to them, and the Spirit teaches you, and the Spirit rescues you, and the Spirit shows you what is true, and shows you what is right. Okay? The sinful mind is hostile to God, verse 7 of chapter 8. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. So, Paul pleads with the Romans, the people of Rome, to please listen to the Spirit of God. Obey the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God that Jesus sends out to teach us. That frees us from the law of sin and death. See, the law cannot save you. It can show you where you're wrong. It can show you what is true. It can show you what is false. But it cannot, it does not, it cannot save you. It cannot, it does not have the power to save you. The Holy Spirit does. And so in this fabulous chapter, chapter 8, we see this dichotomy between flesh and spirit. And uh, again, we enter into this wonderful, glorious gospel news that God shares with us. So I hope you enjoy your reading there immensely. Matthew 21, Matthew 21, beginning at verse 12. Matthew 21, beginning at verse 12. We had the, we're, we're at the end of Jesus' ministry. He has entered Jerusalem in chapter 21 of Matthew at the beginning. And now he's going to work for a little while before they crucify him, okay? And we have these wonderful readings. In verse 12, he drives out the people in the temple. You've heard that probably many times, all right? And the people have not respected the word of God and not, have not respected the temple, okay? And then we have the authority of Jesus questioned on Tuesday, chapter 21, 23 to 32, okay? And then we have the parable of two sons. It's one of my favorite simple parables. All right, a man had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in my vineyard. I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said to the same thing. He said, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did his father want? The first. That is the key. You may not want to do the will of God. You may not be interested in reading your Bible. You may not want to pray. You may not want to give your tithe. You may not want to go to church on Sunday. But if you do what you know is right, and the Spirit of God leads you to do what is right, and He shows you and He empowers you to do it, that you must do. And I pray that you will. But to say you're going to do something and then not do it is not good in the kingdom of God. Then we have the great parable of the tenants, chapter 21, 33 to 46. And of course, this is about Jesus, profoundly about Jesus. And it's about the people that don't appreciate him and kill him at the end. Of course, it's a beautiful prophecy about his death. He is the stone that the builders rejected. He is the capstone. The Lord has done this. It is marvelous in our eyes. Here's my prayer for all of us. 
He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. We need to fall on Christ. But if he falls on us, we'll be crushed. Don't let God fall on you. You and I fall on God. Great message. Fall on the Lord. Listen to the Lord. Do what he tells you to do. In chapter 22, 15 to 22, we have the paying taxes to Caesar, one of my favorite tete-a-tetes. Teacher, we know that you're a man of integrity. You teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us, what is your opinion? Is it right to give taxes to Caesar or not? Should I pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus, knowing their evil intent, don't go with evil intent, people, to the Lord. Go with a a sound heart and mind. You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me a coin. They brought him a denarius. Whose portrait is it? Caesar. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar. Caesar's and to God's the things that are God's. And to God the things that are God's. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what's God's. Give Caesar what he what he's due. Not against that, but give God what's his. Boy, if we could all do that, right? If we could all do what the Lord tells us to do and what the state tells us to do properly, wouldn't that be fabulous? But make sure God gets his, right? Make sure God gets his. Make sure God is satisfied with what he is. So you want to parcel out those? You want to part those? so that you can see both of them clearly. The word of God, what God owes, what God has said to you, and what the state has said, what Caesar has said to you. Finally, in Matthew 22, 23 to 40, they're trying to trap him again about divorce and remarriage. And he has an incredible line, I love it, 29. You are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. You don't know the scriptures of the power of God. He's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. Read that parable closely. It's beautiful. Read that story closely. And then finally, we end on a very positive high note. The Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, asked him a great question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment of the law? Now, the law is a big deal. The law is important. The law is significant. The law has value. The law is rich. The law is God's will. What's the greatest? Jesus said. This is worth memorizing. Matthew 22, 37 to 39. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. What if we just did that So it's really down to two commandments. Love the Lord your God with everything you have. Love your neighbor as yourself. Everybody, regardless of what they look like, what their background is, what their last name is, whether they like you or not, love your neighbor as yourself. Love people and love God. But the first thing we have to do is we have to love God. How much? All your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Everything you got. It takes everything you got to love God. And then after you've done that in a vertical relationship, as it were, then we develop our horizontal relationships. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your brother. Love the person you can see, 1 John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 4. Love the one that you can see. If you can't love the one that you can see, how in the world are you going to love the one you can't see, God? 
so all of us, all of us can continue to love people better, can continue to allow the love of God to f- touch our hearts and souls. So this just a 25-minute walk through Matthew, Romans, and Numbers. You got some good scriptures this week, people. May the Lord bless you. Lord God, thank you for your holy and eternal word. Thank you for all the folks that are listening to this. We pray that everyone is blessed by the reading and study of the Holy Scriptures. May God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit bless people abundantly. We ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. Have a wonderful week and look forward to sharing with you next week, the fifth Sunday of Pentecost, after Pentecost. God bless you all.